0: Hello everyone and welcome to episode 15 of What's the Chakra. My name is Karan Madhok and I'm the editor and co-founder of the Chakra. Chakra Thechakra.com is an Indian arts review, a celebration of India's artistic creativity, where we publish writing on Indian music, film, literature, theater, art, sports, much more. We also publish creative work, like poetry, fiction, photography, original art, etc. In this episode, I will interview a number of guests on recent trends in music, literature, and film and TV from India and abroad. In conversation today with Aditi Murthy, Anurag Tagat, and Saurabh Sharma, we will deconstruct the Manu Joseph-created show, Decoupled, Listen to new music by Indian guitar god, Amit Datta, and talk about books by Neil Mukherjee and Bill Hayes. So strap in and let's go around the Chakra. So welcome for the first time joining us on the What's a Chakra podcast, Aditi Murthy. She's a journalist and an essayist, and uh, she has written a pretty incredible essay for us on the Chakra. I would say one of my favorite uh, pieces we published over the last few months. Aditi, how are you doing? Welcome to the podcast.
1: I can I am doing great. Uh, stuck at home Omicron, oh, micron, yeah. like what to do.
0: We we all are, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, but at least at least, you know, with the wonders of technology, we can we can do this. We can uh, we, we can pretend to have a conversation across the country uh, over Zoom. <laughs> uh so, Pretty much. so Aditi, recently you had uh, you you are shown interest in writing about uh, the Netflix show decoupled. And then you kind of change your mind. You were like, you know what? I don't really want to write about it. You saw it, uh, but so uh, it gave me the idea because it was such a talked about show for, for, at least for like a hot two weeks. And I think we left it behind because everyone's attention spans are so short these days, right? I purposely didn't watch the show simply because I I, 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 didn't, I wanted to come to this conversation with almost like an empty vessel kind of mindset. Like I wanted to learn as much as I could from, from, from your sort of experience of the show. Um, so, let's talk about decoupled. So what did I miss. Vicky, life is just so perfect in this moment. you die in your arms tonight. I don't like guys like him in the first place. You know, when I was his age, most of the girls I was interested in, didn't even know that. I know. You know, I think the validity of marriage should be 10 years max. Men can never be happy in it. Are you ready to lose her? What do you mean,
2: lose her? A young, hot guy with long, flowing hair, having...
1: So, uh, Decoupled, uh, I think the first thing you need to know about Decoupled is that it was written by Manu Joseph uh, and Manu Joseph, uh, I think everybody who's very interested in the Indian literary scene has a very unique writing style, has a very unique personality. I think he styled himself as a bit of a provocateur. Uh, so, this is, I think, his first show. Hmm. Uh, if I, I don't know, maybe I'm, I, I think this is his first Netflix show. And uh, he structured it around uh, basically a couple who are decoupling. Uh, I think you remember the whole uh, decoupling is this very Hollywoody term for a couple who are slowly going apart and are on the way to a divorce. So uh, it's mostly centered around the husband of the marriage. There's a it's a husband and wife marriage, so it's centered around the husband and about how he's taking the decoupling process and the different path of the decoupling process and his own. Uh, masculinity his own struggles with life his own opinions it uh, yeah it's like a lot of people have said that it's kind of a stand-in for Joseph himself like the personality of the main character Mm -hmm. Uh, which is also very interesting because he's uh, the character his name is Arya Ayer Uh, like you know the sort of name that's an immediate turn-off like you don't really want to talk to an Arya Ayer I swear, like, I would just cross the road if I saw an Arya Ayer. I swear to God.
0: If there are any Arya Aiyars uh, listening to this podcast, I think this is the point. Three minutes in, they're shutting off. They're like, okay, this is, we're done.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Log off, Arya Aiyar. Just... No, but yeah. So, yeah, it's definitely that sort of thing uh, where uh, he's he's put forth as this, like, he's almost supposed to be a stand-in, but he's also put forth as this particular character, uh, who has some uh, misadventures and who has some strong opinions. So that's kind of the gist of the show.
0: Yeah, and um, it's the 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 main character, the stand-in for Manu, may or may not be the stand-in for Manu, is that is that is uh, Madhavan, You know who I think is kind of a beloved actor in uh, almost across the board, I would say. But I the almost is you know is is questionable, I guess. And the show is directed by Hardik Mehta, who's also done like a couple of great shows in the recent past. So it comes with like, it 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 comes with the the gravitas of of expectation in a way, you know, b- between these three men, between uh, Manu Joseph, Hardik Mehta, and Arma Dhawan. Uh, b- but of course, things don't always, you know, a lot of people did not love the show. A lot of people loved it. A lot of people did not love the show. I kind of wanted to ask you about that. Uh, why was there? Before you give your own own opinion on it. Can you explain it to me why was why was there such a furore or reaction to some of the quote unquote controversies of the show?
1: Oh God, uh, furor follows Manu Joseph, so furor was bound to happen. Mm. Uh, yeah. uh, significantly, because uh, it's uh, it's um, you uh, have you heard of this? Uh, I'm pretty sure you've heard of this concept called an unpopular opinion, where everybody sort of like. Uh, goes around talking about what they uh, they're unpop like everybody uh, I think me and my friends do it in this way where we all get drunk and then we have this thing where we talk about our most unpopular opinion so this particular show is basically uh, the most generic unpopular opinions put together like like for example coming back to the drinking game you'll have this one guy who'll just be like oh uh, I don't think i think some people fake mental illnesses mm-hmm. or maybe women don't have it as bad so it's all of those very general unpopular opinions mm-hmm. that everybody's mm-hmm. secretly thinking uh yeah so this show is basically like an amalgamation of that mm-hmm. like uh, and obviously it's uh, i think uh, the backlash to the show has been a mixture of uh, exhaustion at that sort of uh, specific regurgitation of those unpopular opinions mm. uh, obviously coming in from uh, a lot of people who've uh, watched shows like this who, who are a little older or who have been exposed to a variety of film and then there's also this very uh, uh, there's this other side which is uh, you need to stop me here because I will go on a long rant. Please which do. Is, uh, No, the other side, which is the reactionary critic side, which is very like a group of like, you know, uh, ever since, uh, oh my God, I'm going to sound a bit like Manu Joseph. (laughs) No, I hate saying these words, but I have to say them, right. Ever since wokeness became a thing, Mm. uh, criticism has become very uh, virtue centric, Mm. right? Like, Mm. so there's a lot of people who uh, criticize a show on the basis of how problematic it is. Which is an important facet of criticism, but it's only a facet, but now it's become its own minor industrial complex, right? So like there's, there's a lot of people who wrote like essays and essays talking about what's problematic with the show. Mm-hmm. They hated it. Mm-hmm. As a lot of people who've been through this and who are tired of Manu Joseph, who are just like, I mean, you know, uh, like there's this, there's this like, there's like this Hindi saying where they go, kya hai, kyu hai, yaar? like that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so I think that's pretty much been the backlash. It is just, it's both a mixture of irritation and exhaustion. At And obviously, Manu Joseph has been enjoying this. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. I went through his uh, <laughs> timeline a while back to just sort of see how he's been reacting to the takes on his show. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, he thinks it's good almost because like, uh, I think uh, he thinks that there's a, like, unless you get a certain amount of backlash on a provocative show, you've not really done your job. And there's a lot of like young men who think it's mostly young men, some young women also who think uh, it's quite a daring piece of work and it's hilarious and stuff like that. And like a lot of people, and, but like, he's been, I don't know, he's happy with the reaction. I'm I'm pretty, I guess he got what he was looking for. Well,
0: and that's what I feel. And again, just to make it clear, I have not seen this show. So, so I'm not speaking of what this show in, in in particular, but I feel in many cases uh, it can be, uh p- provocativeness just to, to just for outrage not for the art you know and to me that is the bigger issue with it like I'm okay if I, I, I'm usually okay I, w- I won't make a blanket statement I, I'm usually okay with shows that are provocative as long as there's an artistic purpose behind the provocativeness as long as it's leading to something uh it's part of the message but but if it's just uh, uh, from 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 what I gleaned about this show I think um I feel it was, it was made with the specific purpose of pissing people off. You know, like, I think, I think they were, this is the exact, out, this is the exact reaction he wanted. So, so in that sense, you are right. Like, he is probably enjoying it because this is exactly what he, what he wished. He wanted to create conversations like ours or, or and and I guess even more outrage than, than we are probably having here. Uh, and, and, and I guess like to, to stick with that sort of similar thing, you know, uh, could you give me examples of certain uh, you know, certain scenes from the show, or certain specifics from the show that that, uh, that were considered problematic.
1: So I wouldn't exactly say that he did it purely for Outreach because like uh, I mean, uh, I've uh, I've been sort of uh, watching Manu Joseph for the past five years as a individual on the internet. As mm-hmm. I mean, not not very consensually. He's just like there, so it's, mm-hmm. he's just. Uh, it's an exhausting presence in everybody's twitter timelines <laughs> so uh, no but like over the time I've realized that like maybe it's not just Outreach maybe like I mean he you we have to remember that he is a good writer like yep. he does he has this sort of ability to uh, put forth uh, very complex and interesting stories in fiction mm. and uh, I think he was this was also weirdly an attempt to do that and I think uh, I think the outreach part was also a significant angle to it, but like mm-hmm. I think it's just like a part of it. Not like I don't think he sort of like I don't know dropped like acid and went like, hey, I want to make a show a show that just wants mm-hmm. to piss people off. No, mm-hmm. if he did, I mean, I I'd weirdly respect him for that. That mm-hmm. a sound fun. So I honestly, mean, uh,
0: just to like uh, kind of go on a tangent on what you just said, you know, um, uh, the, the fact that he is a good writer and and he has written great novels. Do, do you feel that, I think a part of the people's reaction to this is A, this show is kind of classist because it is all in English and it's about uh, privileged people or or, or or people with like kind of quote-unquote rich people problems in a way. So 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 we are we are automatically, the, the viewers of this show are going to be of a certain class but it, do you feel that he was this would have been better off as a work of fiction like as a novel instead where where you are almost targeting the same class of people but that class of people are a little bit more comfortable get digesting this information in that format
1: oh god no i think this was meant to be a sitcom and i think uh, it works as a sitcom weirdly like i mean mm-hmm. people have reactions about it mm-hmm. uh, i think is uh, i have not written, read his books but uh, i mean I've skimmed the Wikipedia plots and I thought the plot was interesting. <laughs> so there's that. No, but like, I mean, if you look at even the plot structure, you can mm-hmm. tell that this is not like a man who takes, uh, this is not a Chetan Bhagata's writer. Like this yeah. is a man you should sort of pay attention to. Yeah. Because his plots are interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, so even then, like the the way the show structured, it's very sitcomy, y And mm-hmm. uh, I think there's a lot of like... Uh, There's quite a few shows that are slowly, slowly becoming English. Like, for example, Made in Heaven was uh, uh, an English show uh, Mm -hmm. made for a very specific audience. And like, Mm -hmm. uh, this was also that kind of thing only. It was made for a very specific audience. Uh, Mm -hmm. Like, uh, middle class to upper speaks English, urban, -urban, Mm semi-urban, and uh, are okay. And like, have Indian characters, but like, they speak English. A lot of them are watching English shows anyway. They're watching Friends, they're watching Mm -hmm. The Office. So, it just sort of fits right in with that. So, like, uh, uh, I think they did say that the show was classist because quite a bit of the content in it was classist, Mm. uh, which is a problem with, like, a significant section of uh, all the problematicness of the show, so to speak. Mm. Uh, Like, there's a lot going on there. There's, like, critiques against uh, gender. There's, like, I wouldn't say against, there's, like, Say let's just say there's takes on gender, takes on mental health, takes on, uh, what else? Class, caste, mm. uh, all hot topic issues. Uh, uh, I think the problem with decoupled, honestly, is that uh, these are, there are takes and those takes are interesting, but they're just done very badly. Mm. Uh, and they're, uh, yeah, they're put together in a way, like, the that's, that's the worst part. Like, I mean, honestly, this is not a this is a problematic show by virtue of the fact that it's just bad. <laughs> like, it's uh, like, yeah, it, it, it's just uh, it just like, you know, I, I, I think the closest example I have to this is like, you know, when you're in it's Diwali and you're trying to light like a bomb and you're waiting for it to like explode mm. and it does like a few sparks and then it dies out. Yeah, that's pretty much. That's the show. It. <laughs> like, yeah, that's the sparks. That's and with the sparks, you can see that like, okay, this mouse has to say something.
3: Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: And then he doesn't say it and it explodes and now it's, and then it's just him just being like, yeah, annoying.
0: <laughs> so. I think, uh, uh, you know, the crux of this comes out to, and I've, I've had this conversation with a lot of uh, people about, you know, the difference between, you know, uh, uh, offensive slash provocative art, but then if the art is good enough, I think a lot of people often give it a little bit of a leeway, you know, like there's, they're the artists who are who might be terrible people who might say terrible things but but we as humans are more likely to give them a little bit more of like a chance if the art is excellent and i think what you're trying yeah. to say is that the art here is not excellent at all so so it's, it's harder to give it that chance right
1: yeah absolutely uh just give me a second I'm going to google something because i want to yeah. use an example
0: yeah so so while you're doing that like i, I also want to add you know um I've heard comparisons to this show to Curb Your Enthusiasm as well, um, in the sense that like, it, it's sort of looking at quote-unquote controversial topics through an unlikable main male character. Uh, do, are you familiar with that show? Are these comparisons apt? Is it not like Curb at all? What do you think?
1: So I... I, I am familiar with Curb, I've watched quite a bit of Curb and mm-hmm. I, I see where the references are coming in from because the episodes are also structured in a very, uh, like, they're structured, you can see the influence uh, mm-hmm. because uh, it is, like, one guy who's, like, a big deal and he's mm-hmm. going through life mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. he thinks that he's he thinks that he's a tits and everybody around him is an idiot. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, uh, but, like, major difference between Curb and this guy is that... Uh, When it comes to Curb, uh, Larry David is okay with him being the butt of the joke Mm. Uh, and it doesn't look off like... uh... It, it it's uh it's very seamless. It's built in. Like for example, if he's going to say something say inappropriate, I think there was an episode in which he says something inappropriate to a trans woman, mm-hmm. or uh, there's an episode in which he says a lot of inappropriate things to a waiter.
0: Every episode, uh, <laughs> he's saying.
1: Yeah, yeah like yeah. Or is it just a yeah. bunch of Larry David inappropriate yeah. things. Yeah. It's just a mashup of yeah. Larry David saying inappropriate things. Uh, yeah, he's saying inappropriate things to his wife. Blah blah blah. Yeah, but like he always comes out like everybody just like is exhausted at him because mm-hmm. uh, it, it, the show is sort of geared very gently at him looking like an ass mm-hmm. and the show is okay with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Decoupled mm-hmm. tries that. I would, I would, I like to give it a bit of benefit of the doubt mm-hmm. and say that does try that because there's a scene in Decoupled where... Uh, uh, he has, he, uh, I think the main character does a panel with a bunch of, he's supposed to do a ban- panel with a bunch of trans women. Mm. And then that panel is randomly replaced with a bunch of domestic workers. He mistakes the domestic workers for trans women. And then like they beat him up, etc. It's a very uh, low sticks sort of scene uh, where he looks like an idiot. Uh, I'm pretty sure there's like several scenes in uh, in which he does look like, like it's trying like uh, there's several scenes in which he looks like he's annoying he looks like he's a pain and you can see everybody around him deeply irritated Mm. but the show is weirdly convinced that he's right
3: yeah like
1: ko is not extremely convinced that larry it it doesn't need to be like it's easy that way because it doesn't it's not convinced that somebody's right
0: i I mean the Uh, the the, the humor of of... sorry go on
1: no, it's a, uh, yeah. Just the fact that this is a this is like Mal Joseph's mouthpiece. Mm. Uh, this okay. was almost struggling to sort of figure out a way in it the uh, in which uh, Arya, the main character is right, mm. and that it's weirdly okay that uh, he's put everybody around him in distress because mm. he's almost like a crusader fighting for the right cause, uh, which is annoying. But like yeah. even when it's not trying to do that, it's put the thought in the in the audience's yeah, yeah, yeah. head, right? Yeah. Wherever you go, you start seeing these clues where you're like, oh shit, but the show is desperately trying to convince me that he's right,
3: Mm.
1: right? Even if it's something uh, innocuous as him being in trouble because he has to tell his father-in-law to like put on a condom Mm. uh, while having sex with his wife, it's just, uh, it's like, even though he does look like an idiot there, it's just like, the show is just like trying to make him out... To be this weird paragon of virtue, mm-hmm. even though he's supposed to not be a paragon of virtue, that's annoying. Mm-hmm. Like, that's one of the major flaws mm-hmm. of the show. Mm-hmm. Just let him be an idiot, like, like yeah, let yeah. him easily just, uh, slide into the idiot phase. It's fine, it's funny, it's okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah
0: I, I was gonna say, like, the humor of Curb is often based on the fact that the, the, the man at the position of privilege is actually mm-hmm. like the, the he, he is the butt of the jokes, as you had mentioned earlier, like, he is a and 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 be. We laugh at power. Similarly, like if you watch Succession, we yeah. we laugh we laugh at these rich, powerful characters because they're so terrible. And and I don't mean terrible as in they're they are they are, um, they're, they're, they're blanket terrible. They are terrible in the context of this show as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and which is which is why which is what I feel is necessary in a show like this in India where we kind of have to you know you you can't really punch down. You have to punch up. You know for 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 the comedy. To
1: land right right mm-hmm, absolutely you do have to punch up and uh, i'm sure the show tries and so like for example uh, i think it it tries its best i think it's at its best when it's talking about issues of class and caste actually instead of being classist, mm-hmm. because uh, it sh- it's it's uh, uh it's set up in a very uh um, sort of uh, parody of parasite way okay. where uh, uh, yeah literally mm-hmm. so uh, it's like the the object of the tensions in class and caste is the driver. Mm -hmm. And about how uh, the uh, people at the back, like the people who hire the driver, the husband and the wife, they're Mm. uh, like, they're very upset because he smells a lot. Mm. And uh, they can't find a way to tell him without being insensitive. And then one day somebody just breaks and tells them. Mm. And uh, he gets annoyed and he quits his job and he walks away. So that sort of tension is super interesting because like... uh, There's another bit where uh, there's another bit about like the domestic worker using the bathroom. I think those parts are handled really well. Like, I think Manu Joseph does caste and class. Uh, I wouldn't say he does it well because he's done it very badly previously. He's had some truly, truly awful and misguided opinions Mm -hmm. in a lot of his articles. And uh, uh, I would say he handled it well here.
3: Okay.
1: I think, uh, yeah. Because uh, he's put in this very like good line where he says that uh, uh, like, you know, a person who doesn't know their caste is this, is the person who is upper caste. Like, yeah. One of those like very, uh, um, one of those truisms that, yeah. uh, I mean, I still appreciate that he put it in there because mm-hmm. my my standards are like like in the <laughs> seventh circle of hell right now. So
3: <laughs>
1: uh, I'm happy that it was there. But yeah, like the tension was good in that. Like I think the way they made it that way the class tension, the caste tension when they're talking mm. with each other. It's, uh, even though the driver himself is also upper caste, mm. Uh, mm. decent. Like, that, but that, unfortunately, the only thing the show handles half well.
0: Mm. Um, so, these episodes are, like, half an hour long and I, I just checked there, like, eight of these. So, my last mm-hmm. question really is just a very simple, like, did do you think this show is quote-unquote funny or good? Like, should I waste four hours, four and a half hours of my life watching this show. Do you recommend it?
1: Listen, it's funny. It's very like, I laughed. Okay. I laughed at some of these episodes. I laughed at some of the gags. Those gags some gags were terrible, but I laughed anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, some gags were okay. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but I would strictly recommend that you don't watch it because it's not worthwhile. <laughs> it's like watching, uh, what are those? Uh, yeah. It's like watching scary movies. It's uh it's basically an amalgamation of parodies, several places, and several articles and several tweets mm-hmm. put together. Mm-hmm. And you might as well just like look at the origin. You might as well, well just watch Parasite again and yeah. scroll through your Twitter feed because it'll just give you the same thing. Yeah. And like, I mean, we all loved our Madhavan at some point, but he's a Sanghi now. So like, R.I.P. Our Madhavan.
0: <laughs> uh, is uh, he a Sanghi like, now? i have to take back everything i said about him i don't i didn't this is breaking news to me
1: he is so, he is a sanghi now and uh, <laughs> it's really upsetting because like as a tamil girl my entire childhood has been sort of weirdly uh, looking at him as this sort of like weird crush right and that's fully gone and especially after seeing the show that's extremely oh fully gone i don't want to and that man's face again because he's so exhausting
0: okay
1: so yeah i'm like, gonna edit would... out
0: the compliment i gave him earlier on in this very episode <laughs> i don't want to be complimenting us. this is breaking news to me thank you
1: yeah, yeah no i mean like kid, your hero never have heroes they all, never they all die
0: celebrity. they, they uh, what's that? quote in Batman? man you either you either die a hero or live long enough to see yourself become a villain so that's what just happened.
1: exactly <laughs> yeah oh um, my god
0: aditi thank you so much for your time this has been very entertaining um, and this has answered. I'm, I'm I'm glad I waited for this conversation before watching this show slash not watching the show. Um, thanks again. And I look forward to uh, what can we expect from you in the future and anything you're working on, uh, anything you want to sort of plug right here.
1: I am working on a bunch of things uh, and uh, I hope to see them out soon, but right now I'm, pract- I mean, I wouldn't say I'm doing anything like, Oh my god! I hate it when people ask me this. I can't. I don't, I don't like that. I should have. God. I should have warned
0: you before putting you on the spot like that. Sorry.
1: Yeah. Oh my god! Most interesting thing that's going on right now is that I'm. I mean, I'm. A, I'm in a fellowship and I'm doing fellowship stuff. So like, that's I mean, awesome. I. I mean, I. I yeah. That's pretty much it. So well, enjoy I'm, your fellowship. Absolutely. Think that answer. Enjoy your fellowship.
0: Aditi, thank you so much for your time. So Anurag Taggart joins us from a containment zone in Bangalore, as he tells me. Uh, Anurag, how are you doing? I hope you're staying safe.
2: Yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, thanks for having me again on the Chakra. Um, I think it's it's fine, you know, it's the situation as it develops and uh, we're just taking it as another sort of uh, quarantine, just stay at home and uh, see how it goes, basically.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's just a life now, and as I was telling, and uh, I'm, I'm, I keep on saying this every every month when I'm speaking to you or other guests. It's just an excuse for us to then just listen to more music, <laughs> as we Absolutely. do. Absolutely. And like, and basically, Absolutely. what what else are we going to do? So, uh, so you <laughs> know, uh, uh, you didn't join us for the last month's episode where we, uh, me, I worked with Adi Mandral and we sort of talked about our songs of the year. So I want to flip the tables on you, and uh, since you're here now, I want to talk about the songs of the new year or the music of the new the artists of the new year uh, you, you are so in deep in the Indian Indian music scene uh could you kind of share some of the big albums artists tracks that you're looking forward to uh, in India from 2022 yeah absolutely man I mean I think
2: uh before like there used to be a little more uh uh vagueness in terms of like how you know albums used to be released especially in indian indie music like you know somebody w- would not put a date to it before right. and i think that's slowly changed now because there were distributors no. and yeah exactly and i think you know distributors labels all those kind of things and just artists you know, just generally having their stuff together a little more, like I think leads to all this. So yeah, like one of the albums that I'm really looking forward to is is uh, Bloody Bird. You know, they're coming out with their album Rakshak in um, February and um, obviously, you know, plans for global domination with that because they have already like, I mean, they clearly have more of an audience abroad than they do in India. And um, I'm, I'm looking forward to see like how they sort of balance that because they've always technically balanced that. Like the made music that is very much Indian, like you know, it it doesn't come with any pretenses or anything like that. But at the same time, it it really appeals to, to like uh, you know a global audience, or mostly a Western audience. So you know, I'm really looking forward to see how they can sort of pull this off through the course of an album, as opposed to you know all the EP, all the singles that they've released before. So, um, yeah, that's that's definitely one of them. Um, I think uh, I spoke to Don Hut recently, and uh, he and Passenger Revelator are supposed to have another record come out later this year. So, uh, I'm really looking forward. To it. It's been a while since like you know he's released something, but then again, not really complaining because um, when he released Connected EP, like it honestly felt like a future classic. It felt like one of those very timeless EPs that talks about like our technology dependence, talks about you know the state of the country and all those kind of things. So yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to see what what people say. And, and when you time. say
0: when you say future classic, you know, I, I know exactly what you mean. Every once in a while, you'll hear a song or hear an album for the first time, and you immediately know that you'll be thinking about this because normally for me, it takes me a while like for songs to grow on me, for me to you know. it it might take weeks, it might take months for me to decide, oh, that was actually a classic. It came out eight months ago. But, but they are every once in a while, as you said, something comes out and immediately you just know it.
2: Oh yeah, completely man. Like I think when I heard uh, Don Bart's EP connected, that that was that feeling and when I hear, you know, like even Swaratma, a lot of Swaratma songs really have that quality and I think they're obviously going to be putting out more stuff through this new year. So yeah, really looking forward to lots of music.
0: Yeah, so, uh, I feel artists everywhere, whether it's India abroad, I think they rely a lot, obviously, on um, uh, the live performance to get the word out. You know, th- this is kind of an obvious statement to make, but I feel it's even more in India because it's you know it we don't have that same kind of networks of of the average mainstream fan getting Indian Indian music that that a person in the West might, and and often what happens is that uh, the, the sort of semi serious listeners like like my, myself, for example. I, I, I get so much of my exposure through shows. Like I'll go to a person's show and, and it'll, it, it'll, it'll eventually be the show and not the recorded music that helps me decide on the artist. So how do you feel, you know, now that we have a new wave, you know, um, uh, like the, the, the Weekender, for example, got postponed. There might be other shows that are going to be postponed now that were probably planned for these first three months of the year. How do you feel that will uh, affect the release schedules or even the motivation for artists to release in india this year yeah i mean like I,
2: I think what's happening now more and more is at least the bigger artists are choosing to go the singles route where you know they may have an album but they'd rather release it song by song so that they have sustained interest uh we saw when chime and Toast do that with uh when we feel young so uh, i think it's, it's definitely going to be that way for a lot of artists big or small, I feel, you know, like, because they feel that's a surefire way. But definitely, like, in terms of discovery and stuff, I think something else is driving discovery now. Something else is driving, you know, artist discovery and curation, right? Like, uh, it's all the playlists and things like that, that, you know, people look to for that now, like, because they can't go to a festival and expect a well-curated lineup of artists who they will follow later on. So uh, definitely things are changing and, you know, like, uh, I don't know, I mean, you know, like, it's very subjective, right? Like how people discover music and what music they like. So um, presumably, yeah, there's a lot more at play in terms of the elements. It's not just as simple as, you know, being on a Spotify playlist, which will guarantee, you know, like you to get discovered. Like, you know, I think, I think there's a lot more to it than that.
0: Yeah. And I think there are larger philosophical questions that I don't think you and I will be able to fully answer right now, but it's something I've been thinking about in the sense that I feel that Indian artists at least had the advantage um, over the West in India. It's, again, this is going to sound obvious, but the fact that they could be seen easily. Anyone could just go and watch your favorite artist if they're coming into town. It's much easier to, to watch a when Chime Met Toast than to watch like the 1975, you know. Or some. But I feel that now that there's no shows, it it kind of like takes away, that level, takes away the slight advantage that Indian artists have in India uh, and kind of puts them on a the back foot again. So, uh, so, I mean, these are questions that I feel labels and artists have to think about going forward.
2: Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, lot, lots more to ponder and kind of navigate.
0: So, I want to finish with uh, the song you chose for the song of the month. And it kind of surprised me. You went with, like, one of the legends of the game, like uh, Amit Datta, who's really kind of considered, you know, a guitar god in India for decades now. Um, he has a new project out uh, called Red Plant. And the song you chose was, um, uh, I think it's the last track on this album. It's called Somewhere I Will See You Again. So why don't you tell me a little bit about, uh, you know, why you love Amit Dutta's music and anything special you noticed in this album that was different from his work in the past?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think, like i've been following his work since skinny alley but then again skinny alley have been there for so long so when i discovered skinny alley they were probably like you know almost at the uh end of their career and unfortunately you know like uh, skinny alleys gyan singh passed away and then after that you know there was there was even their other alter ego project think noise you know uh jay singh passed away so you know it's it's uh i, I think like whenever i followed amit's work like it's it's Went through all these different styles, and the same holds for uh, Red Plant. It was, a, it was an acoustic album from from somebody who is more or less, you know, very experimental in terms of like even electronics or even just the way he plays the guitar there's a myriad of influences that you hear, uh, you know, from like Middle Eastern or, or, you know, like African to like even just uh, Indian sort of styles that he, he brings in just on the guitar. And he's uh, also like, a, uh, I think a very well-respected uh, music teacher as well, like a you know, guitar teacher. So like his students themselves have probably like, you know, shown a different level of, of artistry just because, you know, they've trained with him. Um, so with, with that, like, I think, Red Plant was was a very different album for me from Amit and uh, at the same time it was still rooted in that expe- experimentation that he always has with the, the fusion space as well um, and yeah there's just so many moods but I think the mood that definitely stuck with me was on this final track, uh, Somewhere I Will See You Again. And I got to speak to him about it. I interviewed him about the album for Rolling Stone. And it was, um, yeah, like, you know, it was exactly what I thought it was that, you know, this was a very somber, a very, you know, emotional song. And uh, rightly enough, as the title suggests, like it was about his friends, Jay Singh and Gyan Singh and his own brother, Kochu, who passed away. And, uh, you know, it's sort of like a dedication to those people and to say that you know that he will maybe hopefully meet them somewhere. Like he 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 did like sort of preface it and say that you know I, I don't believe in like you know this religion an uh, afterlife or anything like that. But you know like we, we can still have this thought with us. And I think it's it's beautifully articulated on an acoustic guitar with very other very few other elements going on. You know it's pretty much just that, and it hangs in the air that way, and uh, it's just beautifully executed.
0: That's really well said because, you know, th- this is an instrumental track and yet it is beautifully art- art- articulated, as you mentioned, through the instrumentation. Um, yeah, uh, as you said, this is a somber, but just a lovely, somber, beautiful track. Um, thank you so much, Anurag, for choosing this song for a song of the month. Here it is, Somewhere I Will See You Again by Amit Datta. Mm. Welcome back, Saurabh Sharma, to the What's the Chakra podcast. Saurabh joins us from New Delhi. Uh, Saurabh, how are you doing? How uh, very happy New Year to you.
4: Same to you, Karan. Thank you. Thank you for having me back. I'm doing great. Hope everyone is keeping fine and doing
0: well. You, you wrote like you know, like one of the seminal pieces for us. Your favorite Indian books, fiction and nonfiction, of the year in 2021. And I think you know they weren't they weren't all released in 2021. They were on published in India, but yeah. they were kind of around that hazy space right and it was such a mm-hmm. wonderful read that it kind of further enriched my want to read more indian books so so in that spirit i picked up a novel that has been sitting i'd say with in my in my bookshelves for years uh, and, and it's neil Mukherjee's the life the lives of others this novel is uh Mukherjee's second or it was published in 2014 in the uk and it's one of these like massively respected beloved books that's always been my periphery. I think between my wife and I, we bought three copies of it various times in the last seven years, and never got cracking. Never got started, you know. So last month, I was like, finally, I'm gonna pick this up. I'm gonna read this. And honestly, this novel was a masterclass. Know, have you read Have you read The Lives of Others?
4: No. I, again, it's on my shelf too.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's because it's, it's, it's kind of fat, you know. It's like not to like body shame the novel. But it's it, it's a big fat novel, and you know it it feels it's, a, it's like a family epic, so it feels like it'll be a difficult read. I'm I'm glad I started. I'm started. Uh, I'm glad I finished it. It was shortlisted for the 2014 Man Booker Prize and was a number of other highly reputable lists. I think the most prestigious list that I found it in, um, or in my opinion, the most prestigious list, was that the Independent made a list of the best uh, Indian books to read in 2020, the best Indian books ever to read in 2020, and this list included. Um, It was a list of 12. It included The God of Small Things, Midnight Children, The White Tiger, Suitable Boy, like all the top hits. And this was among them. It's an old-fashioned, massive family epic. It's a type of story which has so many characters. You really have to immerse yourself fully to get the full effect. Mukherjee actually starts the novel with a full family tree of 17 different characters across three or four generations. And um, some of the characters are in the 60s. Some are, you know, six or seven years old. And honestly, the family tree was extremely helpful because I, I had to keep on going back to it back and forth to make sure who the person was in relation to whom, um, especially in the first half of the novel. But I was just still trying to get a grasp of these differences between these characters. This is probably the most Bengali novel or novel of Bengalis I've ever read, which is high praise considering so, so many of our greatest ever authors are Bengali. And I mean, I don't mean the best Bengali novel; it might be, but I mean the most Bengali novel. It's just this <laughs> enriched with Bengaliness. Have you read any other Neil Mukherjee? Or have you are you familiar with his work at all?
4: I have heard a lot about him, uh, but I haven't read a single book by him.
0: So, uh, so I mean, I'll I'll, br- I'll just I'll keep it brief. You know, it's uh, this is about the Ghosh family, and most of the action takes place in the late sixties, early seventies. Uh, it's a joint family, and the patriarch is uh, Prafula Nath Ghosh who's a successful entrepreneur of paper mills. Him and his wife Charubala have four sons and a daughter, and a number of these children have their own children. And so all of these, outside of these 17 main characters, there's other you know, the other smaller characters on the outside who either help their family life or disturb their family life. And all of them have their own complexities, their own kinks, their own motivations, and things get more and more convoluted. Uh, so I'll give you an example. One of the examples is of, um, one of the daughters of she she's Chaya, who um, is almost too intellectual and too educated to be married off easily in the sixties. So so she's already like her brothers are getting married off and she's the one who's this like overeducated one who who cannot find a, a, a good enough man for her. No one's good enough. And soon she's getting older and the older she gets, the more this pressure marriageable age becomes an issue. And then she turns this rage that's within her towards back towards society. So then she becomes meaner to her siblings, to her in-laws, you know, to people around her. Uh, just like it's it. There's, then there's her brother priyonath who has I, I won't say much. He just has very strange sexual compulsions and desires. And I think everything else should be put with this spoiler alert because it's it's really messed up. <laughs> Despite being a married father, um, and that's all I'll say for the, now. Then there's Purba, who's the youngest bride in the family, she's married to the youngest of the siblings who who passed away. So she's a widow living in this family. And they kind of like don't treat her too well, they treat her like an outsider. So all of these characters have something that complicates them. So so their story is one strand of the narrative. The second strand of narrative is the eldest son of the third generation, whose name is Supatrik. And uh, Supatrick is a young man in his 20s who leaves his family to join the leftist cause to help opp- oppress peasants against the corrupt rich and he's highly influenced by the thinking of Mao Zedong at the time of the communist thought of the time in the 60s and so his philosophical musings on the have and the have-nots about capitalism, communism, there's sort of some, many of the major themes in this novel. Now I'll be honest, usually I don't love these family story dramas, I, not because... You know, not because of the not not because of anything against like the household complexities, you know. But usually, what happens is that these family dramas they they tend to take too much of a one-sided. They you know whose side the author's on, you, you know you, you know who the you know who the good queen is and who the queen cackey is of this of the story. Like there's always the evil stepmother or or there's always like the the one dad who's like really misogynist. So those lines between good and evil are usually clear because the author takes a side. I think one of the brilliances of Mukherjee is that he he really balances all these different characters on the same scale. So we get almost everyone's perspective and we're led to empathize with basically all of them. So in that sense it, it is a heavy, dense read, but it's very satisfying. You know, we are, as readers, we're being tugged and pulled in different directions. Our opinion changes a lot about these people. People who we like become unlikable. People who we dislike, we start to see the good in them so it's it's you know it's basically humanity you know humanity is complex and he doesn't simplify it you know for us yeah it's it's this dense epic and uh, and it you know i think the best thing i can say about it is that i was thinking about it even when i wasn't reading it you know i was thinking about these characters they they're just so rich so so well crafted really worth i don't know if it makes the list of the 12 greatest indian novels ever written but it definitely would make like a top 20 top 25 list it's it's you know it's novel of that stature? I should read it.
4: (laughs) I should better read it soon.
0: (laughs) I I was going to say, do do you like stories about, uh, like household Mm. complexities and stuff like that? Is that, does that interest you? Especially if it's, you know, like the, there's nothing like Indian family drama or South Asian family drama is its own unique (laughs) sub genre of drama. Right. Do you, do you, do you like stories like those? I,
4: I do. Uh, but as you rightly said that, you know, um, there has to be more than that in the book right yeah. uh, as in uh, as in i know i expect a drama you're saying that so and so is the father and you know there there is a sort of i mean there should be a very uh i i'm not i'm not sure whether i'm using the right word handsome conflict to guide <laughs> the story if uh, the conflict um if i know the conflict is going to be resolved in so and so ways then that actually spoils the book mm. for me so it, it has to be, I mean, of course, I read works that, of course, enrich me, you know, and my knowledge about literature. Uh, but they but also challenge the way the story is being told. So I loved Empty Room by Sadia Abbas. Okay. Okay. I loved it. Um, um, she is, uh, I guess, in Drachios University. She is a professor. Okay. And I. It, the book is by Zuban. I, I loved it when I read it two years ago. I I'm, That's why when you were talking about this, I the, the first thing, uh, i was remembering that i should again read an empty room i know what is happening i know uh, the the sort of you know um uh, patriarchal mindset of the family that that she's uh, setting up in the first half of the novel but but how these characters change how they and you obviously know that you know the the husband is not taking the side or doesn't have a spine or something like that but but you but you see that you know uh um like like something is happening in, in a very subtle, beautiful way that uh, you thought, you know, you would want to dismiss a character, but you can't. Mm. When when the, when the story progresses, you can't dismiss a character. Yeah. So yeah. that's what I uh, like about a few. I loved A Suitable Boy. Mm. I really loved, loved, yeah. loved A Suitable Boy. Um, mm. But I, I'm I'm unsure if anybody can write like that because, yeah. you know, uh, a, a minute uh, observation is stretched um, on and on mm-hmm. so that is something that i like about uh, family sagas and anyway, I, I think i remember somebody was uh, somebody was dissing about that you know i'm so done with family sagas and all i think again um, in every field replicas of a product sold well will always be there yeah. so it it doesn't mean that you know we we might need to do away with a with kind of a storytelling but i guess if somebody has a very unique way of telling it that that should make uh into i mean that should be uh, published yeah that's yeah, what he I, can't be
0: and, and i'm envious of of authors of, of books like a suitable boy or lives of others of where family sagas then right where you it's it's a cast of characters and you you sort of are you care about a lot of people it, it's so difficult yeah. to make an author care about a big cast um, mm-hmm. to make a reader care about a big cast, and I think the best authors do that. So I'm, so I'm very envious of authors who can pull that off. Uh, Saurabh, I want to talk about the book that you have, uh, you proposed yeah. to talk about today. Uh, so before you even say this, you, you, you told me you've been reading this book every year since you purchased. Yes. In January yes. of every year. So. Yes. And I have tons of questions. Please, please, please go on. Like, what is this book, and and why do you, why are you compelled to return to this in January every year?
4: sure so um, there there was a low point in my time uh, in in, in my life what am I saying Uh, when I discovered this book I was in a bookshop in Gurgaon and I was looking through a a, you know a set of books that I was thinking that you know I should buy either one of them I think I was jobless that time Uh, and then I, I could only buy one book so and and then I saw on the you know the top shelf, a blue book shining, you know. <laughs> uh, and of course, the, the, the storeroom was very lit. Mm. So uh, it, it was really illuminating. <laughs> and I just grabbed that book. And mm. um, and I remember reading about uh, this book in Maria Popov's blog, uh, Brain Pickings, which is now The Marjillian, um because I had already read Oliver Sachs's uh, first autobiography, On the Move, A Life. Mm. and i had read uh seeing voices um so uh, these were the things that i had read by uh, Sachs, but i didn't know that he was actually in relationship very late in his life and and uh, and that happens to be bill hayes this uh, author american author who met Sachs when he was 48 something and Sachs was i guess in early 70s um that's that's when they when these guys met that's how I, I I wanted to you know I, I think that this is the book I'm going to read. Mm. Um, I read on the way in in the metro, mm. and when the first thing I did when I came back home was to actually um, again I didn't think that I'll be going to finish it, but I did. Mm. <laughs> in the metro uh, after that uh, uh, and, and no yeah uh, I mean when when I came back home mm. in the metro I started reading and I was hooked I was hooked like anything. Sharp sentences, very, very simple sentences. Uh, And um, I mean, I'm not saying that, you know, in a very, um, I mean, editorial standpoint, like, you know, uh, make readers engage and, you know, uh, don't don't lose their attention and all that. I think that these are very, uh, these are constructs that are well sold. There's nothing like that. If you have a good read, you will read it, irrespective of the sentences. You know, I have read Lucy Ellman's uh, Duck's new report. So, I mean, you can read if something is engaging. Yeah, yeah. Um, what, do, what defines that engagement for me is the craft and not the length of the sentences. Mm-hmm. Um, the first thing um, um, it reads, I don't so much fear death as I do wasting life. Mm-hmm. I was sold the, the, the first the, 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 the first yeah yeah in the first thing and then um insomniac city as in the title was interesting because um i mean of course i told you like i'm i mean i was depressed so i mean i couldn't sleep for for a for a while and uh and had very i mean weird thoughts and i was roaming around in delhi alone uh in the night so i would really uh I mean, love these landscapes and, you know, Delhi, Delhi would reveal itself to me in different ways. Mm. And it was almost like uh, I'm, I was having a romance with a city. I mm. mean, if we called a romance mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and the in, the in the first part, the first chapter I read, I moved to New York eight years ago and felt at once at home, mm. right? Um, I started experiencing city very late in my life because I was always at home. I mean, studying, not reading, studying uh, because that's what I liked uh, about my life. Nothing else was exciting enough until I came uh, until I turned to books very late in my life in college time. And that's when I started experiencing city. So at once being uh, in a city, I was not at home in that city. So uh, this idea struck me um, when this when I when I read this book, and it is also uh, very strange when you call a city insomnia, uh, or you call Mumbai never sleeps, Delhi never sleeps. I mean, what makes that city city, right? And a city of people. Uh, I mean, a, a city that never sleeps, or a city that is, uh, I mean, m- mythical, exciting, reveals itself in different ways, or. Um, very lively vibrant full of life mm-hmm. what is that thing that you can call a, attribute to a city yeah, yeah. Uh, that 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 it makes it so exciting for you to live in or maybe mm-hmm. uh, to forget something that that is occupying your mind or you're actively thinking about it to make it forget right yeah. uh, you can actually uh, experience um, i mean a calm uh, I mean, in a, in a very different way, Mm. Um, not something that you can uh, channelize it through by some mantra or exercises, uh, but, but, but just being there in the moment, what, what, how, how can a city do it? How can it do it? And what do you have to do to engage with the city to achieve that kind of a calm Mm. and do it actively. Sometimes you don't, I think some cities have that um, sense of, you know, how they are structured, how people live, how people conduct themselves, that, that it makes you feel very engaged or welcome Yeah. or uh, their characteristic is completely ambiguous, mm. completely fluid, fluid, completely not one thing, right? You can't like for Delhi, I think you cannot attribute any one thing to Delhi.
0: Yeah, of course. Yeah.
4: And, and anybody who says that I'm a Delhiwala is a fool because <laughs> Delhi delhi will give you that identity nobody else can mm. give you <laughs> uh, you can't call yourself anything because mm. who actually can be called a delhiwala who is who's who's born here right or who is not born here and has uh, you know uh, soaked in the city's ethos the way only a person can mm. uh, by writing about it by experiencing it by showing it to others i mean it can be anything or by, by or by being in a particular stall for like 40 years and uh, dying at that same spot um, i mean so i i don't know who can call themselves what because mm-hmm. i think delhi is the like i have been to a few cities but i think delhi is the most fluid one in that way in the similar way new york is mm.
3: um
4: i think i heard salman Rushdie saying this as well and um, i mean bill hayes also saying this new to be a new yorker you just have to i mean uh i think i have this particular quote. i'll read it and meanwhile you can throw the questions at me about
0: <laughs> oh no i was uh, just gonna uh, ask like so 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 every year the beginning of every year you decide to re-engage with the, the yes that like relationship with the city
3: mm-hmm.
0: it, it like it, mm-hmm. I, I i think that's an interesting uh tradition to sort of like re yourself uh yes. your 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 place in the city through through literature uh, is this novel is this non uh is this kind of like yeah that's what i'm coming
4: at yeah all these all these were a precursor to you know uh, why i particularly liked it mm-hmm. your first question second thing is it's genre defying mm-hmm. it doesn't have a genre. it has photographs it is a partly yeah. a memoir mm-hmm. uh, so it is as much about loss is And as much about, or as much it is about celebration of life. Mm. Uh, Why? Because uh, this person, uh, Hayes, the writer, photographer, came from San Francisco because his partner has died, Steve. Mm. And he's saying that Steve has died a death that he he didn't imagine because Steve was actually HIV positive, uh, but he didn't die of uh, that disease. Uh, He died of heart attack. And yeah. And it was, um, uh, so there's, this this moment in, uh, the year of magical thinking Joan Didion, have you heard, uh, have yeah. you read the, book? I haven't read it, but
0: yeah. I, I know about it of course. Yeah.
4: When, when, uh, Jean Gregory, uh, done ha- had, had a heart attack and, mm. you know, uh, D- Didion, uh, is like that, you know, life at this moment, you know, and it, uh, I'm forgetting the exact thing, um. Mm. It changes in a moment. So, and he was also like, you know, and that's it. That was the end, mm-hmm. you know. And Steve left. And Steve left. So he, they, they, they. I mean, his. Um, I mean, um, in that apartment where he used to live, uh, other people came to help, and it. I mean, it. It just. Um, I mean of course uh, steve has gone to a place where their return is not possible and he can possibly ask a, qu- a few questions that he had mm-hmm. and and then he would roam around in uh, new york uh finding somebody interesting finding a a, a vendor interesting or um, a news a newspaper guy from where he buys regular stuff mm-hmm. uh, and you know talk to him about uh, things or or maybe in the subway somebody is crying and and there, there is a moment where he's comparing the trains a and c also and you know what kind of experiences you can have in in, in those trains and uh, i was comparing it with the experience that i had in metro yeah, so yes yeah, mm-hmm. with one particular line and and um, and then everything about steve will remind him and he'll also meet upon star uh i mean of course like after that uh, slowly and gradually he started dating other people too uh and and there was this particular person whose name was also steve so and he, he was thinking whether i am you know uh, enamored by this person just because of his name is steve or not and then he's thinking about what is it about new new york that you know you can actually come here and it will take care of you um, and then yeah i got this subway thing I would have to say that what I love most about the subways of New York is what they do not do. I mean, actually, you to think about what do subways anyway do. So he, he, he is trying, actually, I think he um, I think he's using each and everything that you can experience and he's attributing it to life, everything. Yeah. I mean, hardly anything. Uh, I mean, uh, that you can. Uh, I mean, a, I mean, a book as an object, right? A book is more than like for, for readers like us. We 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 find joy in the written word and everything. But book as an object is also very. Uh, um, I mean, as a beautiful object, a decorative item. There can be there can be a myriad way in which you can attribute beauty to a book, so I think that is the way that he is trying to um, share his viewpoint or his worldview by each and everything that he's thinking and you know he's actually giving importance to each and everything that we unsee in everyday life or fail to register in our memory. and it all, this book also, why I'm saying that it, I mean, can't be categorized in a particular genre. There are notes from a journal in the book too. So he's writing notes uh, in this manner and he's made several notes where I'll read one, which I absolutely love. Oliver Sacks is saying, are you conscious of your thoughts before language embodies them? And when, when you read the book, Uh, and of course things don't have to uh, fall in a particular place, but you, but you think every idea that is making Bill Hayes think, write about it, or, you know, give meaning to it by writing about it is, is this exercise. Are you conscious about every thought before language actually overpowers and tries to attribute meaning to it? I am, I, 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 I don't know that whether I can think in that manner. Uh, or whether i can you know um say that i'm thinking in english or in hindi and then and that's that's actually an idea which which is saying that uh, thinking is very connected to language and that's and then language first and thought later but 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 the but the scenario is the opposite way you have to use language to articulate your thought that means thoughts must be something more than language i mean
0: i, I think that's I, I, that's just the perfect food for thought to 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 think about what this what what we as readers what we as people who talk about books what people who write about books who write about language who write about words you know um, at the end of the day it is all about the emotion first it's all about the that little bit of sentimentality within our head that the, whatever it is before we before we translate it to a certain language because and at the end of the day even the very first act of understanding something is translation, right? The act of understanding ourselves is translation to a language. Uh, Saurabh, thank you so much for sharing that. Uh, I, I'm excited to to hopefully see this book somewhere now that it now that it was like the shining, glowing uh, star that you, <laughs> that you picked up. So uh, I, I want to go over our books again. I read Neil Mukherjee's The Lives of Others, and Saurabh read The Insomniac Aesthetic by Bill Hayes. We both picked up books that were written actually uh, a few years ago, within the last decade. But I think yes. books that will probably stand the test of time. Yes, true. Thank you so much for joining this, uh, this episode of What's the Chakar? And uh, thank take you. care. <laughs> A big thank you to all the guests for joining us today. And of course, to all the listeners who have tuned in. I hope you have enjoyed this episode. Please check us out on com, And we are on Facebook, on Instagram and Twitter at The until next time, Chakkar Ghoomte Raho.